All right, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Buffalo Beat. My name is Joe Biscalia. Thanks, everyone, for joining me here on this post-game episode after the Bills defeat the Patriots by a score of 27 to 21. It was a one o'clock game, so if you're hearing me being chipper, it's because I'm recording this at 9 p.m. Let's go. Uh, it's it's always good to uh, get to bed at a reasonable time when you have uh, a, uh, an infant at home. But uh, I digress. The Bills get their win. They win 27 to 21 and not quite clinch the playoffs. Um, I am recording this uh, after the four o'clock games have gone final. So we did see the Bengals lose to the Chiefs, which was one of the things the Bills needed. But we also saw the Jaguars win over the Panthers and the Steelers defeat the Seahawks in Seattle. So now that means the Bills are heading into week 18 with one of four potential scenarios. The first, and this is this is to say that there are no ties uh, in week 18. Because if there is a tie, things can get a little crazy. And I kind of went into that wormhole a little bit after the game. Uh, so I would not recommend it uh, and just kind of do it as it uh, as it comes to you. But here are the four scenarios for the Bills in week 18. Scenario number one, in which many of you are hoping for. The Bills defeat the Dolphins in Week 18, who, by the way, the Dolphins lost to the Ravens, which is why they're in this situation. The Bills beat the Dolphins in Week 18, win the AFC East, collect the number two seed because they hold the tiebreaker over the Chiefs, who can at best get to 11-6, and six, and then get at least one home playoff game, and should they win the wildcard round, would be guaranteed a second home playoff game. That's scenario one. Bills win, all that stuff happens, nothing else needs to happen. Scenario number two, the Bills lose to the Dolphins, but get both the Steelers to lose to the Ravens on the road and the Jaguars to lose to the Titans on the road. And in that case, the Bills would be the number six seed and head to Kansas City because of course they would. Scenario number three, the Bills lose to the Dolphins and get one of the Steelers to lose to the Ravens or the Jaguars to lose to the Titans. And that means the Bills are the seventh seed and will have a return trip to Miami to take on the Dolphins in the wild card round. And they would absolutely not get a single home playoff game, regardless of what happens throughout the rest of the AFC playoffs in that scenario. And then the final scenario, the Bills lose to the Dolphins, both the Steelers beat the Ravens and the Jaguars beat the Titans. And in that event, the Bills would be out of the playoffs entirely. It's very rare when... It could vary from being the second best team in the conference and guaranteed at least one playoff game and should they win another home playoff game to if they lose and have a couple games which very realistically could not go their way 
to be out of the playoffs entirely. Quite the juxtaposition here. And the reason why it's very realistic as to why the, the Bills may not get that help, any help, from those other two games is because the Ravens are clinched for the number one seed and might not have much emphasis to play their starters in this coming game. You know, you could probably work yourself into a theory thinking, hey, if uh, if they've got the week off, maybe they won't want to give their starters two weeks off. So maybe they want to keep them a little bit fresher before ultimately pulling the plug through week 18. But it still probably brings on the scenario where the where the uh, the Ravens still take their starters out at some point. And on the other hand, you have the Jaguars, who may just get Trevor Lawrence back this week, taking on the Titans, who may not have Will Levis next week. And not to say Will Levis is an amazing player or anything like that in his rookie season, but certainly gives them a little bit better of a shot at at, uh, pulling the upset. But of the two, it's kind of weird. It almost because the, the Ravens are more likely to sit their guys, it almost feels like the Titans are the Bills better hope here to potentially win one of those games that that they need someone else to win. But not really great when you're depending on either the Titans, who are really bad, or the Ravens' backups potentially to help get you into the postseason. But that's the situation the Bills are in. They would have won one of those other games, whether it's the Patriots game, the Broncos game, what have you. They wouldn't be in this situation, but they are. And so now their best course of action is just to go down to Miami and win. So those are the scenarios. I wanted to get those out of the way before we get into the actual game itself, because I do think there are some legitimately compelling elements from from this game. Um, it was not exactly a a uh, award-winning start for the Bills' offense. In fact, it was pretty much the opposite of that. There was just incompletion after incompletion. They couldn't really move the ball down the field. There was a heavy reliance on the defense to continually bail them out throughout that throughout most of the first half. Actually throughout all of the first day, first half. The Bills put up what was it? 20 points in the uh, in the first half. But you would say, oh, 20 points. Impressive. Impressive showing. But seven of those were from Rasul Douglas's interception return for a touchdown. And the other 13 were all set up by the defense because those drive starts all happened in Patriots territory, in deep in Patriots territory. So the Bills really weren't getting much going in the early stages of the game. And it led to some, I guess, trepidation as to if this will stick. So I do think there is some context 
included here because the Patriots, their record is is absolutely awful. They're now 4-12. They're 4-11 coming into the game. But the context to provide is that their defense had been playing pretty well as of late. You know, take it for what it is because they still are a losing team, but their offense is usually the the unit that's that's holding the Patriots back, specifically um, most recently. So there is a certain amount of uh, them trying to steal the game for the Patriots in a game that they knew the Bills absolutely needed. So that's a piece of this puzzle. It's not excusing the Bills whatsoever because, you know, this is supposed to be a potentially Super Bowl winning team, potentially, if they get the number two seed and, and go on a run here. And even against good defenses, you would want to see them perform a lot better than they did in the first half. So there was clearly some deficiencies there. The pass protection was very poor. You know, I I don't specifically have answers for you because I I would like to see the all 22 to see who was the most to blame of the front five. But you could tell the Patriots defensive line was winning a lot in the first half. Josh Allen was inaccurate. There were some drop passes. The run game really wasn't getting going all that well. I believe they they didn't even give a a carry to Ty Johnson in, in the first half. So they were going Cook and Latavius Murray and Josh Allen. Just wasn't, was not working in the first half. They were not getting Stefan Diggs involved again. And we'll get to Diggs in a little bit. But the Josh Allen struggles, I think, are what, in the first half, I think are what have kind of stuck maybe a little bit with fans here. Um, The first half was not good by any means. I mentioned the fact that all of their points was set up by the defense. And Allen, at halftime, had completed only 35% of his passes, 7 of 20, for 46 yards. And he had the interception, which was, you know, the Patriots saw it coming. It was basically thrown into double coverage and over to Dalton Kincaid, and, and they brought it down. So it was not a... A very uh, illuminating start. It was not one that fans will remember fondly. And it, you know, I think it could run the risk of being potentially sticky because this is not the first time that the that the Bills kind of started slowly this season on offense. Even the Chargers game last week, it was kind of the same thing, but at least in that game, you know, Allen really came to life. In this one, he kind of did. But they also kind of took the ball out of his hand, hands in, in the second half. And I think that was the, the big key here for how they got through. In the second half, in the non-kneel-down plays, they ran the ball on 67% of their offensive plays, 20 out of 30. And they had Josh Allen drop back on 10 of them. He did not get sacked in the second half, so that was an improvement from where things were in the first half. And when he did throw the ball, they were very efficient. 
It went from 7 of 20 in the first half for 46 yards to 8 of 10 for 123 yards. That's a that's a night and day scenario. And one of the, the incompletions was just the was the overthrow to Stefan Diggs, which had Allen hit it, would have been an 88-yard touchdown pass. So he was doing a lot better, and they were taking the kind of the pressure off of him and forcing the Patriots to respect their run game a little bit more with James Cook, with Josh Allen, with Ty Johnson, and that definitely helped them down the stretch. So uh, credit to Joe Brady, the offensive coordinator, for kind of switching things up and not continuing to stick with what wasn't working and basically bang their head against a, a brick wall. But it's still that first half inefficiency that has you kind of wondering, okay, what what's the deal here? But it kind of reminds me, and the parallels of it, I uncovered as I was thinking through it after the game. It reminded me so much because there are so many uh, allusions to the 2021 season, right? Like this is, it's been a very big topic of conversation in Buffalo since they started going on this run about how this kind of seems a bit like 2021 and and the way that they've been playing certainly indicates that. So taking it back to 2021, it reminds this, the start specifically for the offense reminds me so much of what happened uh, against the Atlanta Falcons right here in Orchard Park. That game wound up being a 29 to 15 victory for the Bills. It was very nearly only a one touchdown win, mind you, because the Falcons ruined an opportunity to uh, to score a touchdown because Matt Ryan was marked down uh, right just short of the end zone. He thought he scored and then got called for a taunting play, a taunting penalty which set them back 15 yards further. So instead of having one yard to go on third down, they had to, they were going doing a third and goal from the 16. And then they went forward on fourth and goal from the 16 and wound up coming away with no points. So that game could have been closer a lot the same way that, that this one was close, but why it was so reminiscent of it to me is because Allen just did not have it that game. Looking back, in that game, he only completed in the first half, very similarly to what happened against the Patriots, 8 of 20 passes, so 40% of passes, as opposed to 35% of passes in the first half today. 8 of 20 for 88 yards and two interceptions. But even in that game, he didn't turn it around the same way that he did against the Patriots today. That game, he wound up with... And they only let him, they, they took the ball out of his hands just like they did against the Patriots. So he only competed, completed uh, three of six passes in the second half for 42 yards. Totaling a day of 11 for 26 for 120. Three picks, mind you. 
And why I bring that up is such a context clue as to where this thing might be going is because Josh Allen very capably showed the ability to shake a performance like that one off the following week and the weeks after that. It wasn't like a crazy good completion percentage game the next week against the Jets. I think he completed 24 of 45. But he still had 239 yards, did not throw an interception, threw a touchdown. Combine that with their two playoff games. Allen wound up throwing for 876 yards and 11 touchdowns without a single interception throughout their final three games. So there are actually better signs from this Patriots game than there was from that Falcons game a couple of years ago. And Allen was playing right after that uh, Falcons game. Some of the best football he's ever played and in a key moment of their season and of their postseason. We all remember 2021 is maybe the one that got away for the Bills because of how well they were playing offensively in Kansas City against the Patriots. It was the perfect game for uh, for Josh Allen against the Patriots in that wild card round. So all this is to say, I wouldn't be totally concerned based off what happened in the first half. The Patriots defense is legit with how they've been playing. And also with Allen turning it around a bit more in the second half, combined with the fact that we've seen this from the guy before. So I get it. And the incompletion fest of of the first quarter was really something to behold from a comical perspective. But at that point, I do think that better days are ahead for this passing offense. And specifically for someone like Stefan Diggs. And that's kind of a good lead in because Diggs obviously did not have the type of performance and has not had the type of performance that uh, he has become known for. This is now six of his last seven outings where he was held to under 50 yards. The only game of the Bills' last seven games where he has had over 50 yards was against Philadelphia in the overtime loss. And what made it a little bit more interesting is that to begin the second half, Diggs, over their first two series really was not on the field at all. He was not on the field for one snap of their touchdown drive to begin the second half. And then on the following offensive series, he was out there for two of their six offensive snaps. So two out of the first 14 snaps of the second half. That's And even if they've been using him less frequently ahead of you know, less frequently in previous games. Last last week, he was around 60%. He's done that in, in some weeks before, even early in the season. He, he did that occasionally. 
And a lot of times he comes off the field either after he runs a long distance or they're looking to run the ball and they want to get a little bit more of an edge slash keep him fresh. So it did make you wonder, okay, what was going on there? Because he, I think he only had two for 12 after the first half. It made you wonder, okay, what exactly is happening here? But again, bringing it back to the context clues of everything. When you look at what they ran on those 14 plays of, of the second half. They wound up calling a designed pass play on only 25% of the plays that Diggs was not on the field. That is not a ton. Three out of 12. The other 75%, they were running the ball. So maybe if they wanted to keep him a bit more fresh or anything like that, as they were trying to put away the game, you know, that early in the game. And maybe switch things up to how they had been doing things previously. You know, it's not great that because he is their best offensive skill player that you do have to take him off the field in these instances. But all the same, that's probably a bit of the explanation for it. Sean McDermott said after the game it was not for medical reasons. And he didn't really have a specific reason because, um, you know, he was... I don't think he's necessarily in charge of all personnel and who's getting snaps at the wide receiver position. And Diggs did take 12 of the final 16, 12 of the final 16 uh, non-kneel down offensive snaps. So that brought him back a bit closer to what you're you're accustomed to. It was just a, a bit jarring because Diggs normally goes out for one or two plays at a time, rarely three plays at a time, but to not be out on the field at all for one whole drive, that's one where you're like, oh, okay. But the context clues of what calls they were playing or what what plays they were calling, everything like that, I think that that certainly leads into it. So I do believe that getting him going must be a priority for them moving forward. They are not going to accomplish what they want to accomplish without Stefan Diggs playing a significant role. I firmly believe that. He is their best offensive playmaker, not named Josh Allen. He is the guy who can take over games. And for them to go this long without having him be a huge piece of the puzzle is a little alarming. However, you know, just because I like to play devil's advocate here, over the last two games, there were two specific plays in which Josh Allen missed the throw that could have completely changed the equation of what Diggs Day looked like. Because he had he was behind the defense against the Chargers, deep down the field. Josh Allen doesn't set his feet very well. Uh, he ends up underthrowing it. The pass gets picked off. That could have been a big play deep down the field. Today, Allen missing as Diggs was in a full sprint with a yard and a half at least of separation from the defender. 
with no one behind that defender. Allen missed him by a good three, four yards. And that would have been an 88-yard touchdown. So it kind of seems like they're close to hitting that big play. And if they hit the big play, then maybe that opens things uh, up more underneath. Maybe their means of operation here is to lull the defense to sleep elsewhere and then pop them for a big play with digs. But even that, it it doesn't seem to be a... Like, it's difficult for other teams by all means. But it doesn't seem to be so limiting to get their top receiver involved against a good defense that is putting a lot of attention towards that top receiver. So they need to figure this out. You know, those those two plays, you can you can say, okay, they, they could have done these things. But still, those are only two plays. The rest of the time, as big as they would have been, the rest of the time, there's just been somewhat of a disconnect in, in terms of getting him involved in a big way. Volume over flash of one play. That's what they need to be after. That's what they need to be searching for answers for. And if not the top priority, it's one of their top two or three as they head into week 18 and then into the playoffs if they get there. Which is a weird thing to say because they're 10 and 6. You're like, they're playing pretty well. They've just won their last four. They could win the division. They could be the number two seed. It's still wild to think that they could just miss the playoffs entirely. But be it as it may. You do have to give credit to the defense because Rasul Douglas, who has been, to me, just an absolute um, an absolute stud since they brought him in. Just an incredible find at the trade deadline. Especially acquiring him from a team that was still kind of in the playoff race. It was interesting. Very interesting that Green Bay was willing to do it. Especially because Douglas had term passed this year. And he was one of their their leaders. I mean, the return was good. Being able to effectively... Uh, you know, dealing him and getting a day two pick for him, that's substantial. Especially if you're trying to turn the roster over a little bit, but they were still kind of in the in the playoff chase. I think they were two and four at the time, very early. So it struck me as odd, but the Bills pounced. They got a guy that has stepped in and instantly become their number one cornerback. Not even close. Number one cornerback. One of their top performers on the team since he arrived. And this goes beyond just the turnovers, which are, you know, what has brought him to light today. But he's running routes for guys. His physicality that he plays with, he's a good tackler. His instincts in zone coverage are awesome. And you see it the way he sniffs out plays. Puts himself in position to make plays. Like it's all there. He's going to get beat now and again. 
But for the most part, he is dead on. And being able to tip a pass that winds up going for an interception, to intercept a pass of his own, and then to intercept another pass and return it for a touchdown, like just an all-world day by him. You know, I had a discussion because I do um, on Monday nights, I'm on uh, Channel 7 here in Buffalo uh, doing a TV show with a uh, friend of the pod, Matt Beauvais, and, and Howard Simon, formerly of uh, WGR Sports Radio 550. And in our hour-long show, we, we discuss a bevy of topics, and one of which was, who was the biggest impact addition? And this was a couple weeks ago. And they both kind of uh, alluded to Leonard Floyd. And this was after a good Leonard Floyd game. But my stance was Rasul Douglas because he has come in and completely solidified the secondary. When they are healthy, this is a good unit. They don't have the star safety play that they used to because Jordan Poyer and Micah High just are not the players that they used to be. They're still good. They're still above average to good, but they're not the in the great tier that they once were. But you combine that with Taron Johnson, who is one of their best players in my mind, Christian Benford, who continues to ascend into an excellent or a an above average to good starter in his second season, his first, well, I don't want to say full season of starting, but his first extended opportunity at, at starters reps. And then Rasul Douglas, who to me is one of the top five to seven players on the team right now, right there along the same lines with Taron Johnson. That goes from a potential weakness of having Dane Jackson on the field or Kair Elam on the field to an outright strength with how good Douglas has been. So my vote was for Douglas. I think he has been absolutely awesome. The interceptions today... Just another reason as to why, but it's just an all-around game for him. And he signed through 2024. That is a an all-time acquisition for Brandon Bean at the trade deadline. He, last year's was not great. <laughs> it was it was not good. Naheem Hines wound up never finding the role in the offense that they needed him to. But this year. Yeah, he crushed it. Rasul Douglas was absolutely worth the day two pick. They got a pick back, so it's it was more of a pick swap than, than just unloading the one. But even still, was worth it because Douglas has been an absolute find. And not only will he be back next season, um, depending on salary and you know the fact if he continues to play at a similar level, I could absolutely see a situation where they look to uh, continue the the relationship past 2024 because not only has he been an on-field top performer for the Bills since he arrived, but he has already just ingrained himself in that locker room. Like he is, he's a talkative guy, and you can tell a lot of the teammates there already gravitate to to him. Like he's already. Talking about uh, at, at the post game press conference today, 
stories about the the Uno table, which happens <laughs> Fridays in the locker room. And I was wondering how long this was going to happen. And g- going up there and feeling compelled to uh, to give a teammate crap over this being Josh Norman over uh, you know hiding cards in, in his hoodie pocket and then claiming a victory. Like all that, it all it all kind of like it's a small example, but he's he has done so well to become a a key piece in that locker room, and I really feel like he's helped in that perspective too. So uh, that acquisition has just been a home run for Brandon B. So kudos there. The last uh, thing I want to get into before we get to some awards here is the Von Miller decision. And you can read more of my uh, my thoughts over at um, at the Athletic. Uh, some of my observations. I touched on the a couple of the things, uh, but there's some notes on Dalton Kincaid in there, uh, Daquan Jones certainly, and some pass protection stuff. Uh, it has the scenarios li- lined out out in there. So by all means, uh, go go give that a look when when you get a chance. But I do want to bring up the decision to make Von Miller inactive. And this is something that we have talked about on this show before, right? If you have listened to me over the season, I have been very consistent in saying that Von Miller has been a non-factor on the field. And you do want to give leeway early on once he returns because he is just coming back from a torn ACL. And, you know... That stuff does take time. We didn't really see Tredavious White get fully back up to 100% of snaps, I think, till like the third, fourth, maybe fifth game back from injury. So you do want to grant some sort of immunity to those early games. But as those games are becoming further and further away. And you're now to the point where he has had 11 games active. And he has not really done enough to warrant more than a handful of snaps, even when he is active. And certainly when you have other guys on the roster, like, well, Greg Rousseau, Leonard Floyd, and A.J. Epines are obvious ones this year. But Shaq Lawson has outperformed him this season. Kingsley Jonathan last week, seven snaps total, had more impact plays than 32 snaps for Von Miller. Von was just getting washed out by offensive linemen. You know, you can't really trust him in edge contain. The run defending piece isn't great. The whole picture shows a player that is not positively contributing to the defensive operation. But it's tricky because they just paid this guy in the previous offseason, in the offseason of 2022, excuse me, one of the biggest contracts that that the Bills will ever hand out. Six years for $120 million, which was essentially boiled down to a three-year deal with the guaranteed money that was owed to him. 
But that's a that's a tough call. He's going to be probably going to be a Hall of Famer. And he had the history of his pre-injury self in Buffalo of being a complete factor. So it has just been a I'm sure it's been a it's been a tough situation for the Bills to try and navigate. And they gave him a lot of opportunities to do it. But the guy has 243 snaps to his name. The pressures just are not there. Like the flashes that they talk about. I'm watching the film every week. I've seen like maybe two or three. That is not enough to warrant being active on game days, especially when you are in need to win situations and you have guys who are playing better than him. He had a play a couple of games ago against the Cowboys. No one blocked him. He had Dak Prescott right there. All he had to do was make the play. Whiffed. Completely, Dak Prescott gets uh, is able to roll out and continue on with the play. And I think that play in itself is, is kind of typifying Von Miller and what he is in 2023. He's just like Von Miller of old, that's a, that's a sack immediately, speed, uh, what have you. He's just, he's bringing, he's bringing that player down or at least holding him enough until he gets some help. It was just a complete whiff. And like I said, that's not even a flash because no one blocked him. So I think the Bills made the right call on this one. I give them credit for doing so because it's tough to sit down a player that you have signed for a lot of money and that's on the books for a lot of money or a lot of cap space next season. And all of this, like I'm only talking about on-field stuff. I'm not even talking about the the accusations of domestic violence in Dallas. Like that, that's not nothing here <laughs> in in this discussion. I mean that I would argue it should have been a piece of the discussion when it first came around after the bye week, and they continued to play him. You know, we'll see if he is innocent and this and this goes away and what have you. He's convinced that everything out there is 100% false and that it will go away. But that said, it's still lingering out there. It's been lingering out there for about a month now. And that plus poor performance, can't play him. Can't do it. So I'm not saying he's out of the lineup forever here. But I don't think um, any of the five guys that they made active this week, that being Rousseau, Floyd, Epinesa, Lawson, and Kingsley Jonathan, I don't think any of those guys had just a horrible game to the point in which they would want to dress Von Miller over that player. I mean, we could still see him. There could be an injury or poor performance or something like that, but 
This was a pretty loud statement in a game that they needed to have against the Patriots. Especially with a win-and-in scenario next week and then the playoffs after that. I would not be surprised at all if Von Miller um, does not dress for a game as an active player again this season. When you make that move, you're usually prepared to stick with it. We've seen it before with these high-profile ones. Kair Elam is another example of this. First-round pick, they made him in a healthy scratch a lot this year. He was a healthy scratch today. Seeing Kair Elam and Von Miller in a non-injury lens on the inactive list, you tell somebody that when the 2022 season begins, you're like, or after the, the off season ends in 2022, you're like, oh, no way. I mean, Von Miller just signed for all this money and Kair Elam was the first round pick. Both those guys will probably be starting, but they're healthy scratches. So I give the Bills credit. It's not easy to admit mistakes. It's not easy to go away from the the investments. But the fact that they did it, albeit probably a bit late. I mean, you could probably probably say that should have happened two, three weeks ago. Same thing with, you know, the firing of Ken Dorsey. That was probably a couple weeks late. But they got there. And now, heading into the Miami game and the playoffs, we'll see. But I think their best five defensive ends are out there. And they were out there today. And uh, they'll need to see a lot from Von Miller in practice to indicate that they need to to put him in the game moving forward. All right, let's get to some awards, shall we? Uh, It's been a minute since we did the awards because of holidays and travel and all that other stuff. We've done some live rooms instead. Oh, you know, I lost my voice for a little bit there. So I appreciate the patience with uh, the month long cold that I had. But um, we are back to the post game awards all the same. So let's kick it off with the Dree Archer Award for the player that did not show up at all. Got to be Von Miller. Inactive. Easy call. Was not out on the field whatsoever. Uh, so Von Miller gets the Dree Archer Award. The Vontae Davis Award for the player that did not show up in the second half. I, I'm giving it to Stefan Diggs only because they didn't have him out there basically at all over those first two defensive series. And he only had a couple of catches. I'm sure, there were some others that I, that I could have went with. But, you know, I just found it kind of, uh, even though there we uh, I went through some of the context, it's just abnormal that he had that many snaps off in a row in an actual game. So I give it to Stefan Diggs. Nothing that's nothing to Diggs as a player by any means. It's just, it was just an abnormal thing. And I don't think that'll be the, uh, the norm moving forward. The Matt Barkley award for the player that caught you by surprise for good reasons. Got to go with Sam Martin second week in a row where he, crushed the punting game and this week he was excellent he pinned the Patriots deep quite a bit and certainly helped when the offense was not at their best in setting the defense up with great situations and the defense wasn't perfect by any means 
you know, they allowed some some yards and some drives and allowed the Patriots to get down the field. But Sam Martin did a heck of a job pinning these uh, the Patriots deep. And, you know, I still think they'll probably try to add a young punter to be in a competition with Sam Martin next year. But he's making a hell of a case for himself right now to uh, to avoid that entirely. So we shall see if his game against Miami and if they make the playoffs, his performance is there. Might just dictate them feeling like they're good with the uh, with the three specialists that they have. They gotta watch the tape award named after Sean McDermott saying. After the 2017 thrashing against the Baltimore Ravens in, in week one, after Nathan Peterman uh, had an absolutely terrible first half before he was benched, saying he had to watch the tape to see what happened with Nathan Peterman. That's the genesis of the award. It's been a minute. Figured I'd explain it. I'm going to give that to the pass protection in the first half. And, you know, this is true to form. They got to watch the tape. Offensive line play. You know, I, I love offensive line play. I love defensive line play. I love seeing what happens. It's the game within the game that you don't really see, see when the game is happening. Because you just don't have the right angles to do it. So got to watch the tape to see what the heck happened and who was at fault the most in that first half, which led to Josh Allen not feeling very comfortable and maybe messing with his throwing platforms a little bit. He still deserves blame by all means, but I think the pass protection uh, certainly deserves some of the blame too. And then finally, the Blaine Gabbert Award for Perseverance. This is stupid, but I'm giving it to incompletions in the first quarter. Even in the face of accurate passes, There was a stretch where there was not a single completion by either team over halfway through the first quarter. And then after the Patriots completed a pass, they had the ball ripped out of the receiver's arms for a turnover. It's like, hey, the Patriots don't know the rules. They don't know the rules of the incompletion game. It eventually went away, obviously, but, uh, you know, the Bills and the Patriots... Really made for a uh, a rip-roaring first quarter there in uh, passing offense futility. So Blaine Gabbard Award for Perseverance goes to incompletions in the first quarter, which persisted a lot longer than, <laughs> than you th- probably thought they should have, especially from a Bills perspective with Josh Allen. All right. I think that's going to do it for me. Um, I'm recording this on Sunday night, obviously. They have yet to release the schedule as to when the Bills will play. I'm assuming the Bills-Dolphins game will be in a very highly visible uh, time window, whether that be Saturday night or Sunday night. But it's uh, but everything is on the line for them. Everything they, that they wanted at the beginning of the season is there for them right now. Being able to get to an 11-6 and record, pushing aside a lot of the horrible losses and, you know, slow outings that they had throughout the year, 
to have the opportunity to not only win the division, but to, to secure the number two seed in the AFC would be remarkable for, for where they came from. They were 11th in the AFC not that long ago. But at the same time, if they don't win, their season could be done entirely. I've never gone into a final week of the season with that much of a high and low in the potential outcomes. It's either, you know, you win and or, you know, it could be like a a stupid division year where an eight and nine or a nine and eight team is going to get in and they play each other in the final week. And that's either a win and in, but the fact that the bills have outs, not only as the AFC East winner, the number six seed and the number seven seed, or they're out entirely is just absolutely bonkers to me. So yeah, it's, it's going to be a compelling game and all depends on when that window is. They could know if it's a Sunday night game, they could know, Ahead of time, whether or not it's a it's a for sure win and in scenario, but either way, it's still going to be winner of that game gets the AFC East, gets the number two seed, gets a home playoff game, and gets whoever the heck is going to be the number seven seed in the playoffs, which could be Bills Dolphins again if the Dolphins win in Week 18. So we shall see. All right. That's going to do it for me. My name is Joe Biscalia. Thanks, everyone, for joining me on this post-game edition of the Buffalo Beat. I will talk to you later in, in the upcoming week to get you ready for Bill's Dolphins. It's going to be a hoot. It's going to be a lot of fun watching that game unfold and to see what the Bill's story, their playoff story, or lack thereof, is going to look like for the 2023 season. All right, we'll talk to you next time. See you then.